0: Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. It's good to see everybody today. <clears throat> well, we're in for a great treat uh, this morning. Uh, I, I had a ministry uh, trip plan, and uh, it, it kind of didn't work out for a good reason, but uh, uh, we're starting to figure out now, but anyway, um, so I had a schedule for Pastor Steve to speak for the next three Sundays, and so uh, Pastor Steve Holsinger, if you don't know him, if you never heard him speak before, uh, he came and did ministry for years on the, see if I guess right, the Northwest Coast. I never say that very often, but the Northwest Coast, and a number of churches there, great church in Alaska that they passed for a number of years, he and his wonderful wife, moved down to Georgia where it's warm, because come out, it is cold in Alaska, let me tell you right now. And um, let me tell you about him before he speaks this morning. If, if you don't know much about him, in case you don't, you know, if you haven't met him before, you'll meet him here in a minute. But when he moved here, most of the time when ministers come in, you, you honestly, you're on guard because you don't know what they want. I hate to say that, but that's just the way it is. And until um, you get to know him, you don't know what do they want. And I asked him, I said, why do you think God sent you here? And this is what he said, to be your friend. Now, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you, that right there, oh, that got me. And so would you this morning, just a great friend of mine, would you guys welcome? put your hands together and welcome Pastor Steve Holsinger this morning to church. Come on, give him a hand, would you? Big, big hand. Come on.
1: He's a good friend. Open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. It's thought that perhaps Samuel wrote this book, but really the the author is God. When Benjamin Franklin was ambassador to France, he used to go in to, to meetings of a group called the Infidel Club. You can imagine what that was like. And they loved good literature, but they also rejected God and Christianity and faith and the Bible. And Franklin went in and took a turn presenting and presented a short story. He took the book of Ruth and changed the names. And he read it to the infidel club, and they demanded to know who the author was. They said, That's the most beautiful short story ever written. Who wrote it? And he delighted in saying, God. It's from the Word of God. And if you don't catch anything else today, catch this God didn't just drop down the book of Leviticus and say, Now behave yourself. He didn't give us a bunch of uh, rules and regulations. There, there are very few or else's in Scripture. And in fact, the book of Ruth is an example that shows us that God reaches out to us and, and reaches for our hearts. This book has pathos, it has drama, it has romance, love, it has mystery, it has uh, just all of the qualities, really, of a great drama. And so as you look at this book, you need to look at it as a a play. And the play opens with a darkened scene in a graveyard. There are three tombs there in our focus and three widows, dressed in black, draped in their mourning clothes, really without hope, and for that moment without God. And the stage director comes onto the edge of the stage and gives us the, the opening words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kileon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Elimelech means, my God is king. And we don't know what the story is on the two sons, but Malon means sickly and Chilion means failing or pining. So let's just say they weren't the most attractive babies. Uh, And they must have been pretty sickly even when they were born and they named them according to their behavior. But if you were the first audience to read this book or to have it read to you, your response wouldn't be what it was when I read it. Our response is to say, okay, yeah, okay, that's the, that's the situation. But the first phrase would cause that first audience to go, oh. And they would, they would respond. The second phrase would elicit a shocked, ow. The third phrase, oh, no. There were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and went to Moab and lived there. And that would bring out a horrified, oh, no. And 3, 4, and 5 would bring... Knowing nods and sad but knowing clucks that said, "Well, there you go. That's what happens when you defy God." And as far as they were concerned, the play's over. Elimelech moved his family, moved his family from Bethlehem to Moab. Oh. And they, they spent time there and lived there. And then the, the, the ow, and then they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and went to Moab and lived there. And the audience would say, oh, no. But then they would turn to each other and say, well, that's the end of that story. You defy God, you go to a pagan country, you all die, end of story. That's what you expect to happen. When Naomi's husband died, she probably thought, well, this is awful, but at least I have my sons. And she looked forward to having grandbabies. And the boys, at some point—whether before their father died or after—we don't know—they married two uh, Moabite women, and she looked forward to taking care of her grandsons, and granddaughters. Never happened. And so, by the time that we find them in the graveyard, she's she's bereft. She's broken. She describes herself. Her her name means pleasant, Uh, Naomi. But she said, "Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter." And she had reason to be. Someone compared the situation of widows in Israel in those days to the situation of widows in in India today. The average income of a widow in India today is three dollars and seventy cents a month. And food costs as much, at least as much there as it does here. In fact, it's not unusual for a widow just to throw herself on her husband's funeral pyre and be immolated because she has no hope. And so here now we have uh, a punctuation mark. Not just one widow, not just two widows, three widows with no one to help them but themselves you can't you can't imagine uh, a more desperate situation someone said widows are unwanted baggage in a patriarchal society and they're encouraged to kill themselves what went wrong it probably would have been more bearable if Naomi were a pagan then she would have said uh, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. It'd be a, a fatalistic, oh, well, these things happen. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. But Naomi was an Israelite, and she believed in the God of Israel, the one true God. She can't attribute her pain just to bad luck or circumstances. Her assessment is blunt. Chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, lovely, pleasant, delightful. Call me Mara, bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And so when we look for the villain in our play, every good play has a villain. First villain is the Limelech, But underlying it all, the main villain is God. And God directed Samuel or someone to write this little book to defend himself. But Naomi puts the blame for her circumstances squarely on God. And she believed in the most basic doctrine that exists in our world, always has. And that doctrine is bad things happen to bad people. That's what makes life fair and just. And when you reverse that, if something bad happened to you, what does it mean about you? Hello? Hello? It, it says you're a bad person. Do you remember Job's friends? They came and said, yeah, we know you have a great reputation and everybody thinks you're wonderful and you call yourself a perfect man without blame. But we know you've been up to something because look at all these bad things that are happening to your family. These things don't happen to God-fearers. These things don't happen to people that God blesses. And they actually got pretty irritated with him and, you know, and even his wife finally said, just curse God and die. Get it over with. It's the most basic, fundamental doctrine there is. Bad things happen to bad people. And conversely, good things should happen to good people. And Naomi is saying, my world just doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. The only way this makes sense is God is doing this to me. I'm being punished for Elimelech's sin. And that old boy went and died, and I can't even get to him to to, uh, blame him. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She says, I left Bethlehem full of faith and hope and love, and I've come back empty and disillusioned and bitter and afflicted. If you were to ask Naomi what went wrong, she would answer without hesitation. My husband took us to live among the idol-worshipping Moabites and now God is punishing me. The villain that we want to look at first is Elimelech. What in the world was he thinking? We don't know. He may have had a business opportunity in Moab that he just couldn't resist. There uh, maybe they had a bad crop or two, and he thought, well, they've got good good crops, they've got good ground over there, in Moab, I'll go over there, and uh, uh, perhaps we can get established there. He had some reason for going to Moab. But if you understand Scripture and dig a little deeper, you know that they had been forbidden, De- Deuteronomy 23, uh, 3 through 6, they had been forbidden to have anything to do with, with the Moabites. And he uses really strong words. Listen to this. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the 10th generation for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. And then in Judges 2, verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over and it says, it goes on to say that he punished them by allowing them to have what they wanted. And what they wanted was Chemosh, the god of Moab. They wanted to be uh, friends with the Moabites. They wanted to take part in the temple worship, which was prostitution and and sexual immorality. They wanted to be a part of of Moab. And in his anger against them, God let them go. Judges 2, verse 14, he handed them over. How many of you know that the worst thing Worst way for God to punish you is let you have what you want. He just, you know, Romans it talks about the people who deny God and says He gave them over to their lusts. He let them have what they want. When Pharaoh went after uh, Israel, it says that uh, God let him. He wanted to chase him. He let him. He let him chase him right out into the middle of the Red Sea, and then he said, "Oh, that deal's off." The walls came down, and they drowned. The worst punishment God can give you is just simply to let you go. And he has no other choice. We're free moral agents. In order to have freedom, we have to be able to choose right from wrong. And we have to be able to make decisions for ourselves. And so Elimelech took his family and went to Moab. That would, again, the first audience... Of this play. Would have been horrified. Oh no. He's toast. Well. Elimelech didn't worship Chemosh. He didn't go to. As far as we know. He didn't go to the temple. He didn't take part in all of that. He just didn't worship Jehovah. He was idle. Among the idols. He decided to lay aside for a while. Take a vacation. Just a little break. Um. A break from trusting God. A break from obedience. I've been to Moab when I make my own letters. My own arrogant beliefs. My own arrogant behavior. Moab. Left to myself for very long, I become an idol worshiper. What's the first letter of idol yeah, there's the whole thing in a nutshell. Idol worship is really self-worship. What, what is it if you carve a statue out of stone and set it up, and all of a sudden you say it's a god? Who made it a god? You did. So who's the real god? You are. Oh, great. You carve an idol out of wood with your own skill, and you anoint it as a, as a god. Who's the greater, the one who anoints or the one who gets anointed? Hello? The one who anoints. Idolatry makes us our own God. And uh, for some reason, Elimelech had walked right into the middle of that and practiced that. What's an idol? An idol is anything other than God that I consider essential to my well-being and sense of self-worth. Anything where I say, I have to have that. Whenever we find ourselves saying, well, I just, I, I, I know it's not right, but whenever you say that, you're, you're one of the children of Elimelech. I heard somebody, or read something this week, I can't remember which it was, saying, well, I know God wants me to be happy. That's great. Another bit of wisdom, uh, a guy said, everything happens for a reason. And the next guy said, yeah, sometimes that reason is you're stupid. <laughs> And you do stupid things. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Sometimes that reason is you. And in this case, it was Elimelech. He's the villain in this situation. But the problem is, he's dead. How do you punish Elimelech for what happened? You can't. And so, Naomi has to bear the whole thing herself. There's a progression to idolatry. I desire. I deserve. I need. I demand. And then I punish when I don't get As well intentioned as Elimelech may have been, and as harmless as his decision seemed, he's really saying, If you won't give me what I desire, what I deserve, what I need, what I'm demanding, then I'll go to Moab. That'll show you. God let him go. Well, the end result is <clears throat> his two sons married Moabite women. Strictly forbidden. Absolutely forbidden for Israelites to intermarry with the Moabites. And so a little bit of disobedience on, geographically on Elimelech's part turns into uh, something that changes his whole family tree. And there was nothing more important to Israel. There is nothing more important to Israel than their inheritance in Israel. God told them, the land belongs to me. You, can only, you can't sell it. You can only lease it out for up to 50 years. But the land belongs to me. And their name went with the land, and their heritage was rooted in the land. And you didn't give the land to pagans. Look what it cost them to get the land back to begin with. He did a horrible thing. He didn't mean to, but he stayed there. As you, you see, he said, uh, I'm "Gonna go for a while." I wonder what that means. Do you think it means 10 years? Probably not. Decades? He didn't mean to, but he stayed there. I had a friend that often said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and require you to stay longer than you want to stay. Sin is a harsh taskmaster. It's probable that his son's marriages could not be recognized as valid in Israel and maybe by this time they couldn't go home and so he had changed the course of his family history he died and was buried in Moab his sons died and they were there, married there as well and his wife was left bearing the guilt, the pain, the shame and the emptiness of loss without the comfort of a loving God and some of you are saying that's just like a man It's what men do <laughs> Some of the people sitting in that first audience said, nudged their husband, gave him the elbow, and said, don't you dare do that to me. (laughs) Who moved? Elimelech. What about us? Here we are in 2022, living in the midst of people who deny the sovereignty of God. We're still in the same situation. We have a pandemic that doesn't the statistics are confusing, and it doesn't seem to get better. And we haven't had a national day of prayer. All, all our politicians are believers when they're running for office. They might have the Bible upside—they might have the Bible upside down, but but they're believers. No, they're not. If if you if you endure a pandemic and you don't even pray, you don't call on the nation to pray. You're a pagan. And we might as well face it and deal with it. We live in the midst of a pagan nation and a pagan world. People who deny the sovereignty of God and whatever you do in any political meeting, don't say Jesus. You can say, you know, the higher power, or you know, I'm here to tell you I always say I'm here to represent the highest power. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He rose from the dead. He died on a cross for our sins. That's not politically correct. It doesn't have to be, you know, politics. It could be your local school. Our little granddaughter went to first grade, and she says to Mom a couple things. She said, How do I find out who the other believers are at school? And Tammy said, Well, I don't know. You'll have to think about that. On the way home, she said, I figured it out, Mom. She said, What's that? She said, figured out who the other believers were. I said, how'd you do that? She said, I went out by the swing set and sang Awesome God as loud as I could. And the ones who believe it joined me. <laughs> That's pretty good for a six-year-old. And then uh, she asked her mom one time, what's hell like? And Tammy said, well, it's a place, where, it's a place in the universe where, there's, where, where God isn't there. There's no God. And she said, oh, like my school. God is loving and generous. He hasn't annihilated unbelievers. But he's put his people in their midst as a testimony to them. And that's our role. We're not to be arrogant and spoiled and belligerent like I was a few moments ago. But we need to be people who represent Jesus to a pagan culture. Who appeal to the hearts just like the book of Ruth does. With its beauty and its drama. We need to be wooing and winning the people around us and representing God uh, among them. Too often we do what Elimelech, Naomi, and the boys did. We're idle among the idols. It was a hundred-mile walk from Bethlehem to Moab. It isn't that far now. Left to myself for any period of time, I become an idol worshiper. I just get inside my own head. I start thinking about what I want, what I want to do, and I, 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 and Satan's quick to add the DOL. In the midst of her pain and her disillusionment and bitterness, Naomi turned toward home. She doesn't, the, the story doesn't give us the reason. It just says that's what she did. Somehow she knew that she could go back to Israel. Somehow she knew she could go back to Bethlehem and back to her heritage and back to her family and back to our God. So here's the principle. When your life is a mess, give God something to bless. I've said that hundreds of times to people. What are you going to do? Got a financial situation, your finances are in a mess. You know what I advise people to do? Write a tithe check. And see what God does. And I don't know how many times I've had people come to me with tears streaming down their face saying, Do you know what God did? And I'll say, No, tell me the story. They did the scariest thing they'd ever done in their life. They did something that made absolutely no sense. You're going broke and you write a check and put it in an offering box at church. That's stupid. No, that's the smartest thing you can possibly do. When your life's a mess, give God something to bless. I remember years and years ago, preaching on this and talking about it, and Sandra, an artist, came to me and said, I I heard what you said, I'm going broke. If I don't sell a painting soon, I'm going to be evicted from my house. But I I heard what you said, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hold you accountable if it doesn't work. (laughs) And I said, "I I have no fear. Go for it got one of her paintings hanging in our house in one of our houses in Alaska she came to church the next Sunday night weeping she said my back rent my rent and my back rent came to a thousand dollars I had a guy come to my studio and he, gave, he, he bought a painting for exactly the amount that I was behind in my rent I said well that's a coincidence she said, no, it's not. It's not a coincidence. I said, I, I, I'm with you. It's a miracle. You see, you, you put something out there for God to bless. And, and I call them grace magnets. God is irresistibly attracted to faith. He's irresistibly attracted to obedience. He's irresistibly attracted to people who do what makes no sense to a pagan and say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to love you anyway. In a bad marriage, in a bad situation, you give God something to bless. I know you hate me right now, you say to your kid. But I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to beat your rear end (laughs) if you don't shape up. And you give God something to bless, grace magnets. And so in this story, there are two grace magnets. There's Naomi deciding to go home. Now she goes home. She's she's a handful. I mean, you can just she's like the lady at the potluck where everybody says don't ask her how she's doing. You know? And don't eat that casserole. That was Naomi. Don't eat the you know, don't eat the bitter stuff and don't ask her how it's going. Don't ask her where she's been. Just kind of pat her on the back and say welcome home cuz she is a piece of work. But there was enough faith there that God could respond and bless her. God always meets us and embraces us and welcomes us home. It's interesting. The first paragraph of this book that we already read is 72 Hebrew words. The last paragraph of the book is 72 Hebrew words. This is well crafted. And after those 72 words, verse uh, 6 it says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So scene two, we leave the graveyard. Now we're at the crossroads. There's an arrow pointing to Moab and an arrow pointing to Israel. And they're standing at the crossroads. And Naomi says, you, you girls might as well go to Moab. You need to go back to your families. Go back to each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness if you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and said to her, we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. What you, why would you come with me? You know, there, there she is in despair. Why come with me? She, she thought the rest of the story... Would simply be she returned home to Israel, became a burden to everybody she knew, was miserable and bitter for the rest of her days, and finally, mercifully died. That would be the rest of the story. She said, you don't want to go with me. Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. There's the villain. The Lord has done this. At this point, they wept aloud again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Ruth becomes our new hero, heroine. Naomi chose to focus on what was lost. And she said, I'm empty. Ruth chose to focus on what was left. And what was left was the two of them. And she becomes an irresistible grace magnet. Her words are some of the most beautiful in Scripture and are definitely inspired by God. They've been read and sung at countless weddings. This whole story is read uh, over and over again in Israel. And Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Listen to these words. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Then when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Her reaction to that beautiful statement was, well, okay. I guess if you're determined to come, line up, let's march. This is prophecy. This this is, again, the most beautiful words in Scripture. Is it possible that Naomi was so full that she felt empty? She she's, feels empty because she's so full of sorrow and anger and loss and bitterness, and there's no room for anything else. Is the glass half full or half empty? Neither. It's always full. And her heart and her life was full of of bitterness, Ruth focused on Naomi. Naomi left Moab without her husband, without her sons, without financial security, without uh, hope. She left full and came back empty. But was she really? Naomi said, "I'm without hope. I'm without help. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless." I'm alone. I have no one. Wait a minute. She had Ruth. And in the midst of the mess, God provided her with hope and with help through Ruth. Somehow, in the whole process, Ruth had become a believer, whether it was her husband or or perhaps it was Naomi herself who, by the cooking fire in the afternoon and in the evening, would teach her the stories of Israel and of the God of Israel and tell her about Jehovah and bring her to faith. And and, and then here this woman is quoting back to her the things that she taught her. And that's the worst. When you're, I mean, when you're down and discouraged and depressed and someone starts quoting you to you, it's awful. <laughs> And here, Ruth has become a follower of Naomi's God. And that's really the way it works, isn't it? I remember a fellow named Bruce Woods, led him to Christ, and he said to me one day, is, is, it, is this okay? And I said, what? And he said, well, I've never seen Jesus, but I trust him. And I don't, know what, I don't know what he looks like, I don't know what he's like, so whenever I think about Jesus, I think about you. And I said, oh, don't do that. <laughs> he said, that's the only way I know to relate. It's the way it works. You see, the people at work don't necessarily know your God, but they know, know God, but they know your God. I remember my first job, I was 16 years old. I became a dishwasher in a restaurant. And the manager one day said, you know any other boys that have faith in God like you do that would want to work here? And I said, how did you know that? She said, oh, you can tell. And I went, Whoa. They could tell. See, she, so she said, Do you know anybody else that worships your God? Because the people who worship your God work. And they work well. And I'd like to have some more of them around here. And so Ruth accepted Naomi's God. So Naomi returned from Moab, verse 22, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter in law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. She didn't come back empty. She came back with Ruth. She probably didn't count Ruth because she was a Moabitess. But Naomi actually returned full. God was still with her. Ruth was still with her. And with Ruth, all the fullness of God's plan for her life and the destiny of her entire heritage. She didn't know this. You see, Ruth is one of the pagan women who's in the genealogy of Jesus. Naomi returned home with our destiny. The unfolding story of Naomi is the story of our faith. There'd be no Jesus to put our trust in if it hadn't been for Naomi turning and going home and Ruth going with her. God's response to Naomi's reasoning and despair and bitterness and disappointment is Ruth. Naomi saw her situation through her vision of God, harsh, demanding, vindictive. And she was without. Be sure you know the God who is. This little book was put in Scripture in the Old Testament so that you would know the heart of God. So that you would learn a lesson that perhaps Naomi and Ruth didn't ever see themselves because they didn't know the full story. Be sure you know the God who is. He was there providing for her, and Naomi's need was his priority, even though she didn't know it. Ruth now becomes the focus of the story. New heroine. She's one of the bravest women in the Bible. She was a Moabite, an outsider, and the only Gentile with a book in the Jewish Scripture bearing her name. What an honor. Ruth becomes the earliest, clearest image of the gospel of God's amazing grace in Scripture. Listen to her words Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me. I don't know if she had practiced that and rehearsed it or if it was just, I think it was probably the Spirit of God at the moment, filling her heart with the right words. This is completely, this is the greatest example ever of completely unselfish, pure love. Naomi could do nothing for Ruth. She had nothing to gain. Naomi was empty, but Ruth was full. She was full of love for Naomi and Naomi's God. Max Lucado, in his book On the Anvil, said, One relationship of this caliber can buoy us through the fiercest storms. It was the Beatles who sang, Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? (laughs) They're all in their 70s now, they're still alive. Oh, the agony of being 64, or any age for that matter, and having no one to care for you or need you. Happy are those who have one companion, one relationship that's not based on looks or performance. Every person is in dire need of at least one faithful friend or a mate who will look you in the eye and say, I'll never leave you. You may grow old and gray, but I'll never leave you. Your face may wrinkle and your body may ruin. In fact, it already has but I'll never leave you. The years may be cruel and the time may be hard, but I'll be there. I'll never leave you. You hear what Ruth is saying? She's saying to Naomi, you may be mad at God, but he's still God. You may be mad at God, but he's still there. I know you feel old and worthless and useless and hopeless, but I see value in you. I love you. I know you feel abandoned and forsaken. I'll never leave you. I know you have no faith for the future. I'll have faith for you. Naomi was focused on what was lost. Ruth on what was left. God is using his so-called enemy, the Moabite, to minister grace to one of his chosen people. He loves to reverse the situation like that. He loves to, to surprise us and challenge our pre, preconceptions of who God is and what he does. You need to be Ruth to someone. Don't look at this and say, oh, I need someone like that for me. No, you need to look at it and say, I need to be that for someone. If your spouse is your Ruth, you're blessed. Deanna is my Ruth sat down with her a while back and said I think I've got Parkinson's disease and went through that and sure enough and I talked to her one day and just wept and said I don't want to be a burden she said you can never be a burden to me. you can never be a burden to me you're the love of my life she's my Ruth you need to be a Ruth to somebody she's a living prophecy someday quote unquote alien scorned and overlooked by the chosen people Israel of his day come into our world to be a friend of sinners closer than a brother a savior He established gatherings of people and taught them to love one another and serve one another and pray for one another. The church broke my heart when Jody was talking about how people are leaving the church. People are abandoning. Half, Half of the people who were going to church before the pandemic have never come back. They're missing God's blessing. They're missing the people who could be Ruth to them. They're missing the people who could be there when they check in and get ready to go to the respirator. what's going on in your life you have someone who loves you like Ruth loved Naomi his name is Jesus before this was ever said by Ruth to Naomi it was said by God to us to his chosen people And this whole book is the story of God's unfailing love And it shows time and time again how he's irresistibly drawn to faith, to obedience. He calls us to accept that love. This is not just the words of Ruth. This is the words of Jesus. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You have one who's closer than a brother. Jesus says in John 14, even, even when you die, I'll be there. I'll come and take you to be with me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Have you accepted that love? Are you, have you allowed Jesus to be a Ruth in your life, that's our invitation. I don't know many of you. I don't know your faith. I don't know your situation. But I know you're going to be invited to trust Jesus, the greatest decision you could possibly make. Jody.
0: Thank you, Steve told you that he's a great friend. And um, I want to encourage you with something as I pray for you this morning. He said a couple of things. You know, I'll never leave you. That's what Jesus said to you. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, or maybe you're watching online and you've never accepted Christ, I want to encourage you right now. Um, What he said, you know, our our, maybe it's just us. Maybe, Maybe it's not affected you as much as it has us, but I'm not trying to be scary or anything like that. But, you know, our team... We, we figured up this, this week, we were talking about, you know, Beth, who oversees our nursery preschool, web design, all that kind of stuff like that. Her, her husband, Marshall, if you don't know him, he works in a sound tech booth and stuff. His dad passed away this week. We, on our team, every one of us, in less than a year, uh, either a parent, someone close to us, uh, we, we've all been affected and, so maybe it's just me. That all of a sudden that whole, you know, you're not promised tomorrow thing, Kind of kicked in a little more real for me this year than than it had before, and so I'm not trying to scare you. I just I just want to, if you're watching online or you're in the room right now, Jesus will never leave you. You may go through some different difficult things, but He will never leave you. And so maybe you're here and you don't know Him. You're at home, you don't know Him right now. Would you just take a moment here and bow your head and close your eyes, just with me as I lead you in prayer? And the way this works is the Bible says that if you believe in your heart. <clears throat> And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For it is with the heart man believes unto righteousness and is by confession that salvation is made. And so it takes a twofold part. You, you believe and therefore you speak. If you believe it, you're not ashamed of the gospel, <clears throat> you speak it. So just right where you are, you're watching at home or you're in this room right now, just, just pray this with me right now. The whole church will pray with you. Just. Repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, not knowing tomorrow, not knowing the future, just at this moment, I come to you just as I am, and I surrender today my life, and I receive Jesus as my Savior. I give my life to you. And I put my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you right now. Church, would you give my hand, please? <clears throat> amen. And so if you want to know more about how to follow Christ, I want to encourage you to, uh, on the screen right there, it is work of church. Uh, I'm sorry, com And... If you all go there, we'll help you get started walking with Christ. We'll give you some materials, help you begin the process of discipleship. We'll help you get in a great small group, which is already going right now. I know many of you are in your groups, and that's great and fantastic. I encourage you, keep that up, because as Steve said, everybody needs a Ruth in their life. Everybody does. I leaned over Haley, and I told him after I was trying to compose myself, Pastor Steve, thank you very much. I leaned over her and said, I will never leave you, because... I, it's important that you, you know, you might need to tell, it's Valentine's Day, and I didn't do it for that reason, but you might want to tell your honey bunny if you're married to one of them that, you know, I'll never leave you. It's, uh, better than a card, but get her the card anyway, but it's still a good thing to say. Everybody needs a Ruth, whether you're married or not married. You need somebody, a friend, a brother, six closer than a brother. And so, uh, today before we go, just want to share two things, or a couple of things with you. First of all, I'm going to show you something. I'm a pastor. Okay? Three pages of notes. No, I'm not doing it because I don't you think I use to show off. No, I'm not. I preach a lot. It's very rare that I get to sit under the feet of someone else and listen to a word without having to prepare that meal. I want to encourage you next week when you come, bring a notebook. Because what will you do if God says something to you, and all you have is your phone? Well, you can type it into your phone. I know. I know that. I, I totally. I have one, and I'd have to do it sometimes. But there is something about being able to write quickly If God gives you something And there's a couple of things the Lord gave me while he's speaking And so I just want to encourage you that Very rarely do you get to sit under the feet of a man Who's had as many years of experience I'm not saying it because he's, he's old or nothing like that I'm saying it because there's a lot of wisdom in that man right there And you need to receive it You don't always get that opportunity So take advantage of that Real quick before we go <coughs> just want to say uh, thanks for uh, Pastor Steve Holzinger filling in this week and next week and the week, week after he's going to do three Sundays y'all give him one more hand please before we go that's right be sure you say hey to him before you go and uh, tell him thank you for, for what he's doing just want to say thanks like he said for giving thank you for what you're doing uh, being a steward of you know what what we do here at the church and being faithful in your giving and what we do overseas and our global work again go out there and look and see that out there on the wall but um some great things happening overseas, and I encourage you to take a look at what's out there so you can see what you're partnering with, not just here locally, but across the globe. There's some great things taking place that God's doing in some of the ministries there. Um, I just want to say, Haley and I just list last week what we did Monday, Tuesday. One of the reasons we were out for this Sunday, um, why I had him start this Sunday was, so we got to be a part of doing church assessments. And so with a church, a friend of ours at Westridge, and um, I've done this once, twice before. And so this time she came to, and they asked her to be a part. So in the process, what Pastor Steve was saying is true. <clears throat> Our friends at Dallas, Texas Gateway Church, large, one of the largest churches in America, <clears throat> about sixty percent of the people have returned back to church. It's across the, it is across America. It's not across the globe. It's across America, which tells us something. Um, we need more. You may think, why do we need more churches? Because many churches are closing. And so we were a part of this with some pastors, and we got to be a part of. Uh, I think. There were nine couples that went through the assessment we went through. And after finishing up, all nine of them are going into what's called a residency program. So they're going to join a local church like ours somewhere. And they will spend the next six to 18 months preparing to plant a new church in an area where there are not many churches, like in the northeastern coast of the United States, maybe some other places. And then we had a follow-up with one couple this week. That they are going to plant They already moved to New York City They're going to be planting there into Queens New York City And they'll be planting the next 18 months there as well So all in all this week 10 couples are going to be starting new churches in. We call them unreached places now Because honestly there's places in the United States That have no churches So that's really exciting So thank you for letting us be able to do that And so it's exciting to me to hear Even though it's really rocked the church The pandemic thing But there's a whole new revitalization Taking place in the church there are people that are saying, "Look, we're going to go into places we never went because we got so comfortable." You know what I mean? It's, so it's really, really exciting. So just want to encourage you with that. That ten new couples are going to be starting churches in the next probably eighteen months. So it's pretty exciting there. So before you go today, want you stand to your feet? Let me speak this over you today. This is the Lord's blessing, <clears throat> and <clears throat> this is found in Numbers chapter six. And again, just want to encourage you in this one encouraging. This bring you some notebooks next week and a good pen you can write down with think it'll be good for you you never know what the lord might say to you You Might sit here and god might speak something to you right in the middle of somebody preaching you never know so all right let me just speak this over you before we go this found in numbers chapter 6 verse 24 and it says this may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace god bless you guys so much you're dismissed have a wonderful wonderful day we'll see you next week